Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hey, welcome. Today, I am so excited to continue our series, Overcomer. And uh, last week, we talked about overcoming fear. And, you know, Jesus Christ wants us to be an overcomer, wants us to live an overcoming life. And today, we're going to talk about another tool that Satan uses to steal our joy, to steal our peace, and, uh, and really to get in and disrupt our lives. Now, before we get into that, I want to remember a couple of key passages from last week. John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus told his disciples, he told them, I, I told you these things that in me you may have peace. Now, Jesus wants us to have peace, but notice the next part of this verse. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. That's this life. When he says the world, he's talking about where we live right now. And, and we all know that to be true, especially in these days. In this world, you will have trouble. But look what he says. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Now, because Jesus Christ has overcome the world, those of us who surrender our lives to Christ and who live in Christ can live an overcoming life. In fact, uh, John wrote this in 1 John 5, 4. He said this, for everyone born of God overcomes this world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So as we are in Christ, we can live an overcoming life. We can live a life of victory. We can live a life of triumph because Jesus overcame. So today, we're going to explore some tools that the Bible gives us to help us be an overcomer to overcome discouragement. Now, I want to just share a, a fun little story with you. It's advertised that uh, Satan decided that he was going to sell all of his tools. And so he decided to lay those out and to have people come and, and they could come and buy his tools, kind of like a yard sale. And so he put out some of his most destructive tools. He, he had some that, were, uh, it, it, that people could inspect. He had hatred, he had jealousy, he had deceit pride, lying, and so on. Uh, but uh, aside from everything else, just kind of set aside was a well-worn tool. And yet that tool had the highest price. So one of the customers came in and, and said, hey, why? This one is so, so ragged. It, it's been used a lot, and yet it has the highest price. Why is that? And Satan said, oh, that's the tool of discouragement. And he said, well, why have you priced it so high? And Satan said this, because discouragement is the most useful tool to me. I can pry open the inside of a man's heart when nothing else will work. This tool, discouragement, will open up the door and allow me to disrupt a life and get inside like nothing else. Friends, I, I want to encourage you. Discouragement is one of the devil's most disabling tools. And it's one that no matter who you are, you struggle with from time to time. In fact, if we look through scripture, we find that discouragement is never something that comes from God. Discouragement is always something that comes from the enemy. Throughout scripture, the, it always talks about encouragement. As the body of Christ, we're to encourage one another with these things. Discouragement is a tool from the enemy. And he has used it on, on, on some of the, the most uh, uh, spiritual people 
that you would think about. In fact, Warren Wearsby in his book, Walking with Giants, wrote that many well-known successful pastors have struggled with discouragement. Martin Luther, Charles Spurgeon, Alexander White, John Henry, Andrew Bonner, G. Campbell Morgan, they all admitted to battling with serious discouragement. You know, it's not just pastors. In fact, some of the people that we would look at throughout history that have had some of the greatest accomplishments ever have battled with discouragement. Alexander the Great, who wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. I don't know about that kind of discouragement, but but even though he had conquered and was so successful, he battled discouragement. Hugo Grotius, the father of the modern international law, said, I have accomplished nothing worthwhile in my life. Can you believe that? John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, wrote in his diary, listen to what he wrote, my life has been spent in vain in idle aspirations. On the epitaph of one of the most famous authors of our time, Robert Louis Stevenson, it says this on his epitaph, here lies one who met well, who tried a little, and who failed much. Failed much. See, it is so easy to battle discouragement. I mean, you may remember uh, that even Abraham Lincoln, <coughs> excuse me, when he had uh, lost to U.S. Senator uh, Stephen Douglas in 1858, this is what he said, I feel like a boy who stubbed his toe. I'm too big to cry and too badly hurt to laugh. Doesn't that say it all? Uh, discouragement is one of those things, and in this day and age that we are living in, it can be so easy for us to battle with discouragement. In fact, uh, sometimes what we find is discouragement is one of those things that is a present reality, and, and it can come when we begin to compare our present reality with past memories. When we begin to compare those things, we can encounter and struggle with discouragement. When our expectations, when things we thought were going to come don't come to fruition, or when prayers are not answered as quickly or in the manner in which we think, we can battle discouragement. I want to begin to take a look at a passage of Scripture today and uh, and a people. It was 537 B.C. The place was Jerusalem. The Jews just returned from a long captivity in Babylon, and uh, some of them had been taken away from their homeland for 70 years. Others had been taken away for 50 years. They had been gone. They were captive because of God's judgment, because of idolatry and disobedience in their lives, generations of disobedience. And now at last, at the time that we're going to read, the first wave of Jews has been allowed to return to Jerusalem. But as they return, everything has changed. In fact, the countryside is in the hands of their enemies. The city of Jerusalem lies in ruins. The walls have been torn down. The buildings have been looted. And even the temple that Solomon had built 500 years before had been utterly destroyed. So much gone that even the very silver and gold and bronze and precious stones had been taken out. Anything of value had been looted and taken out and the past glory seemed but a dream. The Babylonians took everything. The Ark of the Covenant was gone. The sacrifice, the altar of sacrifice was gone. The temple implements were gone. It was just a field of rubble. Now let me pause for a moment. You know, one of the phrases I hear during this time and, and something that, that comes up are, are questions, questions about the impact of this 
pandemic. And for some, they say, I just want to get back to normal. I just want to get back to normal. When are we going to be able to get back to normal? When are they going to open things up? When's the governor going to open things up? When's the president going to open things up? When can we just get back to normal? And you know what? I understand that. There are some things about this that are just absolutely awful. You know, we, we can't get back. When, when can we get back to the time where we can greet each other with a handshake or a hug? You know what I'm talking about? When, when's the time when we can meet together and actually worship together as a church? It's just, I've heard over and over, just these online services are great, but they're, they're just not the same. And, and, and there's a lot of things that we can look at and, 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 and we want to return to normal. But I, but I want to encourage you here. That's what these Israelites were struggling with. They had been captive in Babylon. Now they were having a chance to come back. But as they came back, things were not the same. And some of them found themselves in a place where they were discouraged. Uh, they began when they got back to rebuild the altar. The Ezra chapter 3s we're going to camp out today. And, uh, and the first six verses of that are them rebuilding the altar. Then verses 7 to 9, they, they, they begin to rebuild the foundation of the temple. And then they pause for a time of praise and thanksgiving as they laid the foundation. And look what happened. Ezra 3, 12 and 13. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one, look at this, no one could distinguish the sounds of the shout for joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard from far away. Well, what's happening here? Well, what you have is a younger generation. They, they, were, they were born into captivity. They hadn't seen the temple before in its former glory. They hadn't seen Jerusalem. They were just excited to be able to get back and get to work, and they were so excited about what they'd already been able to accomplish thus far so they were celebrating but then you had another generation an older generation that even if they had been left jerusalem for babylon 50 years ago they would have been about 65 at the time or older and they had seen the temple in all of its glory and now as they returned they began to mourn and to be discouraged over all of the rubble and over everything that was and they looked at the foundation that had been laid and to them, it was not a reason to be joyful because they remembered the, the, the temple of the past. And as they remembered that, and as they looked at the work that was before them, they thought there's no way this is ever going to be what it once was. And they became discouraged. Friends, I want to tell you that so many of us might be facing that same fear. What's it going to look like when we return? Will it ever be normal? And sometimes we might mourn over those things that we love before that we just, we, we, we don't have the opportunity to be able to enjoy. Maybe you're a senior in high school and you think, I'm never getting my senior year back again. I'm never going to get my senior prom back again. I'm never going to get to celebrate walking out of school on that last day and, and with my friends and celebrating the end of my high school career. I, I, I'm not going to get a normal commencement. And you're mourning over those things and say, you know, I don't even know if entering school in the fall for college is going to happen and discouragement is setting in. Maybe perhaps you're somebody that was just getting started with a, a business and, and you were getting ready to launch, but man, 
you, you look now and you think, boy, I don't think it's ever going to be what it once was. Or maybe it was thriving, but you've taken such a hit, you just find yourself discouraged. You know, I understand those things. And you know, these folks understood a little bit of discouragement. Some of you are facing discouragement right now, but what can we learn What can we learn in this time? Let me share with you four lessons, life lessons that we can learn from Ezra chapter three. Number one is this, yield your memories and your dreams to the Lord. Yield your memories and dreams to the Lord. Again, going back to Ezra 3, 12 and 13, there's two very different emotions. The younger folks are excited because there's potential of what the future holds. They have a chance to rebuild and and they're really believing that even though Jerusalem is in the hands of their enemies that maybe this is God leading them back to a place where they will have the freedoms that they once had but again there's an older generation and these younger folks didn't hear all they had was stories of of maybe their parents or their grandparents or the friends of their parents or grandparents that told them about the days when they were in Jerusalem but they hadn't experienced themselves but there was an older generation they remembered the stories of the past they had saw it firsthand And for that generation, discouragement set in when their past memories weren't matching their present reality. So many times we can begin to elevate past memories. Past memories are good unless they begin to cause us discouragement because we begin to compare them to our present reality or to our future dreams. It's easy to begin to take an attitude that says, well, those were the good old days. It'll never be like that again. But let me ask you a question. Were those really the good old days? You know, when I, when I evaluate the time that we have right now, one of the, the things that I can, <laughs> excuse me, one of the things that I can take a look at as to whether the past is better than the present is when I take a look at our schedules. You know, so many people were so busy before. Our schedules were so filled with so many things, not all bad things, but filled so much that we didn't even eat dinner together as a family. Most of us didn't even, we're we're coming and going like ships passing in the night. We never paused to play a game or to invest in family relationships. And yet during this time, I've had an opportunity to see so many families spending valuable family time together. You know, I found some people that have said, you know, I was so busy. I never could really do my devotions before. I couldn't really spend time with the Lord. But you know, this has given me an opportunity to pause you know, there was a, there, there's a, a, a director of child and adolescent counseling, Sissy Goff at Daystar Counseling, Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville, Tennessee. She'd been very concerned about the stress level, particularly on students and, and teenagers, children and teens. And she was worried, what will the pandemic do? It was already at a, at a pace that she was concerned about. And so she was worried about the growing anxiety and stress and what the pandemic would do. In a recent study, in an interview, this is what she said. She, she interviewed some folks, and this is what she said in her study. Many kids and teens who were riddled with anxiety before social distancing reported being less anxious after being home, being alone, being with family, doing slower activities, and spending time with parents. Imagine that. Imagine that. You know, I I think that sometimes we have to begin to yield to the Lord's will. We we, We need to begin to evaluate and say, you know, is what we're going through all that bad? Or perhaps are there some things that moving forward, 
we need to take into it. You might be discouraged right now because of so much that has been lost, but I want to encourage you, if you will begin to yield over your past memories and you will begin to yield your future dreams and say, Lord, your will be done, that you will find that God can bring some encouragement to you in these moments. How do you overcome discouragement? It starts by surrendering our present and future to the Lord. By surrendering our present and future to the Lord. The next lesson that we learn is to rebuild the altar. Rebuild the altar. What do I mean by that? That sounds strange, but in Ezra chapter 3, it opens with them taking some steps as they began to return to normal. And you know, we're going to have an opportunity in the next couple of months, I really believe that, to begin to return to normal. What are some steps, though, that we can begin to take right now? Well, what we learn from them is they began to rebuild the altar. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 2, then Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, and his associates, look at this, began to build the altar of God, uh, the altar to the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. This is so important. What, what did the altar represent? The altar represented a place of sacrifice. It also represented a place of worship. Worship always comes first. They ended up in captivity because they were not worshiping God, because they had started to worship idols that God was not prioritized as first in their life. Friends, I want to encourage you that this has been a time for us to evaluate. And you know, perhaps God has not been first in our life. Perhaps with all of the busyness, with other things, that, that God has been out of place in our life. The Israelites, in a sense, as they were making sacrifices first, were saying, Lord, we want to get our relationship with you right first. Before we do anything else, we're, we're not going to lay the foundation of the temple. We're not going to build the walls. We're not going to rebuild the city until we rebuild the altar first. See, the place of the altar was the place where they would sacrifice an animal. And as they sacrificed that animal according to the law of Moses, the blood of that animal would atone for their sin, making them right with God. Without the altar, there could be no proper worship. There could be no assurance of divine protection. There could be no guarantees of forgiveness, no access to God, no lifting the burden of guilt and failure. The altar was a link between God and man. And during all those years in Babylon, there was no altar. There was no clear access to God. There was no assurance of forgiveness. There was no assurance that their disobedience had been taken away or their fellowship with God that had been broken had been restored. Friends, there are times when we need a new beginning. This is an opportunity for a new beginning. This is an opportunity for us as we begin to shift priorities, as so much has come to a halt, for us to take inventory and say, maybe there are some things we need to do differently. Maybe we need to make sure our relationship with God is right. Maybe we need to reprioritize the place of uh, the altar of worship and the place of God in our lives. We need to take this time to reprioritize our relationship with Jesus and to rebuild the altar for our lives and for our families. Number three, resolve to obey God right where you are. You know, as I study the larger context of this, I'm struck by two facts. First, they were very committed 
to follow the Lord in every detail of life. Verses two and four emphasize that when they rebuilt the altar, they did it according to the law of God. They, they followed every detail. Now that's significant because uh, the, the law wasn't given. It was given nearly a thousand years ago to Moses and the Israelites on Mount Sinai. There'd been a lot that had passed during that time. There was the conquest time during the time of Joshua. There was the, the period of the judges. There was the reign of the, the three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. Then after that, there was a strange period in Israel's history of a divided kingdom and a lot of idolatry, a lot of returning back to the Lord. And then finally, there was the exile because of judgment, the exile to Babylon. And now it was time to start over. And as they begin to go back, they say, you know what? In order to go back, we've got to take a look at the pattern and we've got to lay the right foundation. The, the, the significance here is laying the right foundation. Secondly, when they relayed the foundation, they did it in spite of their enemies. The story unfolds in the chapters that follow that there were enemies of Israel that did everything they could to try to discourage the work of God and the rebuilding that was being done. Let me just tell you that when we go to begin rebuilding our lives, when we start to go back, there is a very real enemy, a very real spiritual warfare, and he will try to discourage you from taking steps of obedience and following the Lord. But the relaying of the foundation of the temple and doing it according to the, the law of God is an example of the daily disciplines and the daily obedience that each one of us need to take to keep God first in our lives. I don't want us to miss that. This is an opportunity for us to repent. This is an opportunity for us to begin to, <coughs> to, begin to do some things differently. And that's going to take courage. Courage to stand against a hostile word, world and against fear that can hold us hostage. When the enemy lines up against you, what, were you gonna, what are you going to do? I want to encourage you, put faith ahead of fear. See, that's what they did. They began to put faith ahead of, of fear and they began to rebuild according to the law of God. And in Ezra 3.8, it says that they appointed Levites 20 years old and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. And at this point, the, the temple is not completed. But what they're doing is they are laying the foundation. And laying a proper foundation is so extremely important. And that's what we're doing right now. Even in the midst of this stay at home, even in the midst of this pandemic, as we have been forced to slow down, this is an opportunity for us to take the daily steps of obedience and to lay the right foundation for when we do begin to return. It's an opportunity. So once we surrender to the Lord, once we reorient our worship and our priorities, we take daily steps of obedience, there's something else that's really important for us to do. And, 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 and that is to, to remember to roll up our sleeves and go to work. You know, your, your willingness to do what needs to be done even when things haven't changed yet. Their situation hadn't changed, but they were taking the, the right steps, going in the right way you know, if you do that, what do you have to lose? If you do that and things get worse, what have you had to lose? If anything, you have started to, to, to improve your life by taking the steps of obedience. Listen, Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Galatians 6.9 encourages us, don't be discouraged, look at, so let's not get tired or be discouraged of doing what is good at the right time 
We will reap a harvest, a blessing, if we don't give up. Don't give up. This is not a time to give up. You overcome discouragement by resolving to faithfully obey the Lord, even when your circumstances haven't changed. But you hang on and you say, God, I'm going to continue to persevere and do what is right. Listen, friends, if you can't make big promises, if you can't keep big promises, keep the small ones. If you can't follow a big plan, then follow a small one. If you can't see the, the, the next steps into the future, the five, six steps down the road, take the next step, next two, three, three steps. What's the next step right in front of you? John Maxwell said this, the smallest act of obedience is better than the greatest intention. Fourthly, praise God for his goodness in spite of your circumstances. Praise God for his goodness in spite of your circumstances. That was done in Ezra's day. They got to work. They rebuilt the altar. They were relaying the foundation. And before anything had ever been completed, they stopped and they began to praise and they began to give thanks. They gave public praise. Look at this, Ezra 3, 10 and 11. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with their trumpets, the Levites, the sons of Asaph, you remember some of the Psalms were made by the sons of Asaph with symbols, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. Look at this. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good and his love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. You know, the end had not been done. The temple had not been completed yet. They were in the middle of trying to rebuild. And yet in the middle of trying to rebuild, they recognized the importance of praise regardless of their circumstances. At this point in Ezra chapter three, their enemies are still around and seeking to discourage the rebuilding that God wanted them to do in their lives. And yet they pause to give praise. Why? Because they were putting their eyes on a God who is big instead of their circumstances that were overwhelming. If you fix your eyes on your circumstances, you'll be discouraged. But if you put your eyes on God, you'll begin to see that God is bigger than any circumstances that you face or that you encounter. And you begin to declare by faith that God is able. Notice their circumstances were not good. There was a lot of work left to be done. The, the goodness of God was not predicated upon their circumstances. It was about his character. It was about who he was. And so in the midst, they begin to say, God is good and his love to Israel never fails. Listen, friends, God is good. God is good. God is good. We've got to remember that our God is good and we've got to declare it even in the midst of these difficult circumstances. You see, hard times are precisely because they, are, 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 hard times are hard precisely because they force us out of our comfort zone. They put us in a place where we're virtually forced to trust God. They move us, they move the spiritual life out of theory into reality. Now, friends, you can hear all the sermons you want about how God takes care of his children, about how God is good, about how God supplies. You can hear all those sermons. But until you live it, you don't really know it. In fact, here's a quote I found this week. One can learn about sailing in the classroom, but it takes rough seas to make a great sailor. 
You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you can read about sailing all you want. You can get an education about sailing, but that doesn't make you a great sailor. You're not a great sailor until you get into the boat, until you begin to, to, to go and push out and you begin to experience the waves of fear that begin to come. Cape fear as you begin to sail through the storms as you begin to to face the winds you begin to face the adversity and you have to adjust and you have to begin to put into practice those things that you read about in a classroom those things that you read about usually some of us we read about the goodness of God but we don't experience the goodness of God we don't experience the faithfulness of God we don't experience the miracles of God until we need one You don't experience the fact that God can raise the dead to life until you begin to live in circumstances that seem that have died and then God turns it around and resurrects it for his glory. You don't see it in your life until you're facing a diagnosis that isn't good and you you say, but I know God is healer, but you don't know it until you begin to see God faithfully healing you in your circumstance. God protecting you. See, this is the time. You don't know God as provider until you don't have much, and yet you see that God sustains you just like he did the Israelites with the manna each and every day. Friends, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged in the storm, but rather it is a time to declare the praise of God even in the midst of circumstances because as you begin to praise, you begin to encourage your heart. You begin to encourage your your soul, and as you, you encourage your soul, you begin to put your faith through the praise that you offer into the very promises of who God is, the very character of God. Friends, discouragement is a tricky emotion. It's it's not wrong to remember the past, and it's certainly not wrong to grieve over what you've lost or lost. It's not wrong to grieve over those things, but it is wrong to stay stuck there. It is wrong to glorify the past. Because you know God has a plan and God wants us to move forward in his plan. To move out of a a crisis, we've got to begin to to make some small changes to be faithful. Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged if the small things that you're doing, the insignificant things that you're doing seem to, to never add up and you don't see it. Listen, God is good at working out small beginnings. When God wanted to save the world, he started with a baby in a manger. Just remember that. There is, small beginnings are not a hindrance to the Lord. They're the starting place. So I want to encourage you right now. Let's begin to surrender. I want to encourage you, surrender, surrender your past. That was the past. God wants to do a new thing in your life. It's time to begin to surrender the past. It's time to begin to, to say, Lord, I yield my future to you. Not my will, but yours be done. If it's out of your hands, don't get discouraged Because God will begin to infuse vision, just like he did with those younger folks. They said, you know what? We've got a new beginning. In this new beginning, it's time to rebuild the altar. There are some of you, if you really take a look, your your priority, the relationship with the Lord, hasn't been right. It's time in these days to get right with the Lord. It's time to rebuild the altar. It's time to rebuild the altar. It's time to relay the foundation. What steps of obedience do you need to take right now? What are the daily disciplines that are in God's word that you need to begin to take by faith? And friends, it's time to begin to praise and to say God is good. God is good. God is good. I want to invite you to pray right now with me. I want to pray if you're discouraged. If you're discouraged, I want you to pray with me today. 
If you need to put your faith in Christ, maybe you need to re reignite the flame. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. You need to surrender to him for the first time. And, and you're watching this and you're saying, you know what, I need to give my life to Christ. I want to yield and surrender my life to Christ. I want to invite you to do that. Let's pray. And then we're going to begin to praise. We're going to enact what we've been talking about by faith. Come on, let's begin to, to just pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God that is good and our circumstances aren't, but you've got a plan. I thank you, Lord, that you forgive us. And right now, Lord, if we need forgiveness, I, I just pray with those that need forgiveness right now, we just ask you to forgive us right now. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, we yield our lives to you. If that's you, just yield your life. Say, Jesus, I yield my life to you right now. I surrender my life to you. I rededicate my life to you right now. And let's, Lord, we just thank you for that. We confess our sin. You're faithful and just, and you forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray against those battling discouragement. I just pray in the name of Jesus that you'll bring joy and encouragement to their lives in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you and bless you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you prayed a prayer of salvation, will you fill out the decision card in our app? If you downloaded our app, there's a connect section there. Fill out the decision card. Email me. E email us, info at PainesvilleAG.com. Or you can even leave something in the comments. We want to be in touch with you and encourage you. If you're discouraged and you need prayer, will you email us and let us know? so that we can be praying for you today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.